Welcome to the Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schofer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain the Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. The performance of U.S. ports is important to the functioning and the resilience of our economy. Congestion in West Coast ports and the 2016 opening of the larger Panama Canal locks has created important opportunities for ports on the eastern Gulf Coast. In response, those ports have been investing to grow their capacity to compete more effectively with the West. To learn about the recent expansion of the Port of Virginia, now the second busiest container port on the East Coast, we've invited Stephen Edwards, who's CEO and Executive Director of the Virginia Port Authority, to our podcast. He's responsible for business and infrastructure development, and he manages the operation of Virginia's marine and inland terminal facilities through the port's private terminal operating company. Stephen brings to the Port of Virginia extensive experience in port, terminal, and logistics system management. Stephen, I'm very happy to talk with you today. Can you give us a description of the Port of Virginia? Well, thanks, Joe, and thanks for the introduction, and I'm pleased to be with you. Um, certainly, I mean, I think the, the, the Port of Virginia, as you, did, as you described, it's one of the premier, um, if not the premier, um, container port on the, on the eastern Gulf Coast and probably in, in North America. Um, We've got a you know we've got a wonderful um, position here on the Mid Atlantic coast, which allows us to provide you know services for the gate as a gateway into the north you know North Atlantic through the Midwest into some of the South South Atlantic states as well, um, with a really good I think marine advantage as, as a port with and with a great harbour, um, which would as we'll talk about no doubt, which was deepening with modern container terminals, which where there's been good, strong investment and further investment coming in um, and good rail line links with both Class 1 railroads on the east coast of the Norfolk Southern and the CSX. And really what I would say is a wonderful uh, community of, of folk involved in managing the all the functions that a port needs. So whether that's us as the Port of Virginia or also what we need from ship pilots or what we need from tug operators and what we need from customs border protection, the Coast Guard, etc. A real uh, team of people who pull together very, very well to make sure that the, com- the commercial part of the Port of Virginia works you know, exceptionally well alongside the federal defense requirements with the U.S. Navy being based here as well. So you have the, what, what is, I think, the largest Navy base in the country um, located in, in the Port of Virginia? So our neighbor is the U.S. Navy, and it's the largest naval base in the world. And clearly, they have their requirements. They're outside of my purview, but they are a wonderful neighbor. Um, and I think as, a, as working between federal requirements and commercial requirements, uh, it couldn't work better. In the most general sense, where are the ships coming from? Are they coming from Europe? Are they coming from the Middle East, other places? So in general terms, the best way to look at our business uh, is not dissimilar to other ports, is our biggest trading partner, Port of Virginia, is, is China. Um, and um, our fastest growing trading partners are India and Vietnam. But we've also got uh, a long, long-standing relationships on trading with North Europe, with the Mediterranean, with South America, um, Middle East. So our, our portfolio has um, services. We have about 34 services a week uh, of liner, liner uh, transportation through the Panama Canal from Asia, through the Suez Canal from Asia, transatlantic, Mediterranean, 
um, and uh, South Americans. So we've got you know we've got full global connectivity, but servicing servicing Asia in both ways through the Panama Canal and through the Suez Canal. And my understanding is that uh, the Port of Virginia is also an important export port. Is that so? No, it is. I think one of the things through this last you know, 18, 24 months of the uh, people have talked about supply chain issues is you know, we, we run up we run our port as a business. At the same time, we have we recognize that you have to service all parts of the trade. And you will have read, no doubt, about exporters reaching into problems in other locations. And we've taken steps all throughout to say, while this strong growth in cargo has been import driven, the exporter must be protected, and the exporter, the, the, the space required and the services required for that exporter, the port must port will and uh, ensure that they get great service. We're very pleased with that because we grew last year, only single digits, but we grew in exports, and we were just one of one of, I think, either the only one or one of only two or three ports that actually managed to achieve export growth, and we're still achieving export growth this year. So, I think that the exporters have recognised what we've managed to do, that we can continue to operate as their gateway of choice. Uh, and uh, that you know, serves us well, and it serves the exporters of the Mid-Atlantic and the Midwest well. What products are flowing out through the Port of Virginia? So the largest exports are all agricultural-based, and as it is, I think, for just about every North American port, we are significant in the, in the export of, of, of specialty crops, which are uh, soybeans and others, which are um, consolidated here. Um, or brought in from the Midwest. And also, we have a significant amount of timber or lumber products, uh, which also move, move out from here. So prepared woods that will be, that are uh, sh- shipped overseas. So it, it's not different to other North American ports. Um, we have a certain amount of you know, components that go into Europe. The largest exports by far are agricultural and lumber. And relative, in, in relative terms, which direction is dominant? I'm thinking specifically the Panama Canal versus um, the Suez Canal. Well, that's very even, um, a very even base. So Asia is our largest, largest book of business, but it is very even as to whether it's coming through the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal. And you, know, you, you only have to think back to you know, Around about year 2000, which is when the you know, late 90s, 2000s, when the first sewer services started to the East Coast, and now it's quite, you know, it's very much a 50-50 because if you think through, you know, moving from Vietnam goods from Vietnam through to Chicago, um, then I think if you put into the schedules of various shipping lines how they move that freight. Um, a significant number bring it through the Suez Canal and bring it through Virginia and then move it on up to up to Chicago, for example, rather than go through the West Coast uh, through, to, through to Chicago. So you kind of got this cutoff line for the Midwest around about the Vietnamese market. And of course, Southeast Asia has been growing substantively, not least because when we as a nation put the tariffs on China, a number of people said we need to source from China plus one. And that plus one has become Southeast Asia. So yeah. Southeast, you know, we've seen a lot of Southeast Asian growth. So that's a little bit closer to the East Coast than, than China. Especially through the Suez Canal. Yes. So tell us about the expansion program. My understanding is you spent $450 million or more on, on adding capacity. What have you done? We've done two things in the course of, say, the last five years. So we both added capacity and built modern capacity. So we, um, we have two major container terminals here. Um, one we call Virginia International Gateway. And in 2019, the second half of that terminal came online, which is a modern semi-automated uh, container terminal. 
And then in 2020, we brought, early 2020, we brought online in our other facility, Norfolk International Terminals, the southern part of that facility, again, brand, yeah, newly built, modern, semi-automated capacity. Um, and the third part we're going, we are now uh, moving forward with, is the other half of the um, Norfolk International Terminals, uh, which we call the northern end, where we're going to equally modernize that and expand that facility into semi-automated operations. So what, what do you mean by semi-automated? Which part is automated? But what's automated and, and the difference between semi-automated or fully automated in, in our, the, the way we look at it in the industry, is all of our yard, operate, our yard operations, so the stacking cranes that operate in the yard um, and transfer the goods either to a landside delivery for trucks and rail or to a waterside delivery to go to the ships, those are automated stacking cranes where the work is done um, on an automated basis with a remote operator to do the last handling of the joystick control to land containers safely on or off of trucks. The piece that is not automated is the transfer from the water side to the ship to shore crane, the horizontal transport. That's still with drivers. And there are a couple of fully automated facilities on the West Coast, but we've taken the, we've taken the position that we want high productivity, high, we need to move ships through the port very quickly, and we achieve a higher productivity on that horizontal transportation uh, by using manned, facilities, manned, uh, manned transportation. Do you envision going to full automation at some point in the in the future? No, we don't. We 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 believe we've got this. We've hit the sweet spot. Um, what we're going to build at North NIT is a replica of what we built at Southern NIT. So it's a replica um, operation. Uh, we think it suits us well. But there is a difference between how we how we operate in, in the sense that we have. You know, when we get ships calling here, we have about thirty four ships a week. Now, some of the other facilities may handle just two or three ships a week because they have much greater move counts, say, for example, in Los Angeles, where you may discharge the whole ship and load it back. So our, sh- our shipping operations are sprints. We need ships to come in, get worked, get out. Other port, you know, ports such as Los Angeles may have they need more of a marathon. The ship may be in for six days to turn that ship. We're, we're turning ships in 24 hours. So if I understand the operations there, it's much more common on the East Coast for a ship to make two or three port calls on the coast, loading and unloading, and then, and then to go back to sea, as opposed to what you just described for the West Coast, which is uh, one stop and, and back, at, back into the ocean. That, that's right, Joe. I mean, for us, invariably, a ship is either coming, you know, it might be first to Norfolk and go south, it might be first to New York and come south, it might be first to you know, a southern port and come north. So we have we have ships where we're the first port of call, we have ships where we're the last port of call, and we have ships where we're the middle port of call. How much notice do you get in advance of, of a ship making a call in your port? So what, what's happened during the pandemic is the you know, liner shipping schedules. In, so think of liner shipping as typical to an airport is that there's a scheduled day for a ship to be in a port, just as there is a scheduled time slot for an for a airline. Um during the, during the pandemic or the supply chain issues that have result, been around the world, whether it's because of you know, a lockdown in China or because of you know, congestion in the supply chain in Europe or further inland in America or in another port in America, the schedules have been, you know, as we all know, highly unreliable and really very, very, very low um, levels. But, but the, the answer to your question is we know a ship's coming at us when it's leaving the foreign port. So we know we know it's intended for us. The question then is, you know, if it's coming directly to us from Asia, we'll have a pretty good 
knowledge of the day it's going to arrive. If it's coming to us through some other ports, we have to take, there will be some delays in those other ports or or there have been delays in those other ports. So we will see, we'll juggle accordingly. And that's where modern facilities have helped us throughout. We, you have to think of a, a container terminal as a warehouse. You're constantly moving containers to make them ready to load to the next ship or to make space to discharge the next ship. And that's been a constantly changing you know, variable throughout the last two years. And that's where our modern terminals have helped us no end because we've been able to rework cargo to get ready for the next ships um, according to what's coming at us. My understanding is is that when those ships are loaded in, in Asia, there needs to be a, a load-unload plan so that the you know the first boxes off are, are the most easily accessible. Is that usually done? Yeah, so a ship is stowed according to its intended port rotation. Um, so we have seen in the last year, um, you know, ships will change rotation because of delays in delays that they may be facing. So there has been more rehandling of cargo um, to make it. You know, to, if a ship has come to us in in front of its intended first port, then we've had to rehandle cargo accordingly. And I'm sure other ports have done the same in reverse. Um, but in general, yes, a ship is a ship is stowed as you'd expect. It's stowed to take the cargo off and put it back on, so that so that there is space available for each port as we go through a loading cycle. And you, as a part of the, the modernization, you've added container cranes. Can you tell us something about them? We've added some of the largest cranes, I think the largest cranes that are operating on the East Coast. So the, the important thing here is within our expansion plans, what we're building here is by far the most modern facility on the East Coast or, or actually modern port in the nation. These ships have to be tall enough to handle the latest ships. So these 20, you know, we've handled up to 16,000 TU ships. We're ready to handle up, you know, 20,000 and beyond, which is the largest ships in the world. They require greater height because you're loading more containers on deck to create the capacity on the ship. So we have to create more height and more outreach. So we've done both of those. We've strengthened the berths uh, to accommodate those cranes. And we've now brought in, I think, a total of eight of those cranes to actually service, service those ships. And you know, we will go forward and place more orders so that we can accommodate more of that cascade of tonnage that's going to come our way in the, in the not-too-distant future. I mean, the customers are quite clear that they expect to be delivering more of those large ships to the East Coast in the future, so we'll be ready for that. Now, on top of that, Joe, we're adding a, you know, a deeper, wider channel. So we're investing $400 million in a deeper, wider channel. That's federally funded and Commonwealth of Virginia funded. And that will allow two things, that the, the, the largest ships to come in fully laden um, without any need to compromise their, their dead weight capacity. And, you know, uniquely to us, it'll allow two-way transit of those large ships coming in and out of the harbor so that when a ship leaves, we don't have to wait for it to clear the channels before the next one can come in. And that adds significant capacity because our berth occupancy can go up. Yeah, so, so you've really, you're building a two-way street. We're building a two-way street. And and I say unique because we're presently a relatively short, we're a one-way street on, on, when we're handling the largest ships, and as is New York, as is Savannah, for example, and now we're going, we're going to move forward and make that a two-way street, which we can use for two of the large, you know, we can take two of the largest ships. Today, we can take a large ship in and a small ship out at the same time, but going forward, we'll be able to do two large in, in and out at the same time. How do you pay the bills? How do how are you raising the lo, at least the, the local and state funds uh, to pay for the modernization? So our, our modernization um, is paid. You know, we have about a one point four billion dollar uh, capital project going forward at the moment. 
the majority of that is funded by the port from our own operations. We operate the port. The profits we make from those operations are reinvested back into the port. So we, just as a private company, that's how we operate. We operate as a private company. We charge, you know, we charge for our services. Um, we retain our profits and we reinvest those profits directly back into back into the business. Where we need you know, help on some of the, on, for example, our next expansion, then you know, we have a very, very supportive legislature in, in Virginia who recognize the wider economic benefits that the port brings to the state, and they will give us an equity injection to help get across the line on some of these investments. So we've got, the, we've got strong support from our legislature in Virginia, and I think we've got a track record now that shows you know, a, a proven track record of good investments with good returns, uh, an excellent job creation coming from that within Virginia. And you're char- uh, do you charge the customers on a per box basis? Yes, I mean that's typical for that's typical for all container terminal operators around the world, or also in North America. Your your transactional revenue line is on a per unit basis. And I presume that the services are a la carte. That is, storage services different than uh, moving boxes on and off of the ship. Typically, typically you will charge you you charge a la carte. So you you charge for the movement of a container through a terminal. And then if there are ancillary services, such as whether it's storage or examinations or you know, other, other factors with, to do with refrigerated containers or hazardous containers, then you will, you'll have an a la carte menu. Um, and that's typical t- to us. And that would be mirror imaged with obviously different amounts of money across, across all ports. What are your future plans? Where are you going to be in 10 years? In 10 years, I think we've got some quite exciting plans. We've commenced four big projects. The first one I've already talked about, Deeper Wider Channel. And the Deeper Wider Channel is uh, is between the ports work and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. That is well in progress. And most of those dredging contracts have been let um, to market. So that one is on, is on track, but we will be ready for two-way transit in 2023, first stage two-way transit in 23, and will be completely completed and finished on the whole project in, in 25. Our North NIT, which is the third leg of the stool for us in terms of container terminal uh, modernization, we've got all of our approvals in place. We'll be putting contracts into the market in January, and that first phase will be done in two phases, phase one, early 25, phase two, early 27. So five years' time, we'll we'll have another full-blown semi-automated container terminal. We're completing, we're we're kind of halfway through, but we're about, we're close to, getting beyond towards the finishing line of modernizing one of our rail yards, um, which will increase our rail capacity to to the the port as a whole. We'll have over a million container lift of rail capacity. And then our other project, which is slightly outside of the container area, is we're uh, modernizing one of our older terminals, Portsmouth Marine Terminal, to be a hub for the offshore wind industry. So if you think out, as you said, in, in 10 years, we'll have the deepest, widest port in the nation, in terms of ship approach, we'll have modern ultra-large container vessel berths, fully supported by semi-automated cranes, and a and capacity a good 50% above where we are now. So we're, we're determined to stay ahead of the investment curve. We've got the support of our state legislature to do so. We're, we're building these deep, deeper, wider channels, and we're linking ourselves in a very efficient way to the to the two class one railroads here of CSX and Norfolk Southern. Stephen, it sounds like a very promising future for your port, but for international maritime trade, 
for the United States. It's nice to hear a good news story about uh, supply chains and logistics systems in this day and age. Thanks so much for spending the time with us. I'm really glad to learn about your your report, and I'm sure our listeners will be very excited to hear what you have to say. Well, thank you, Joe, and thanks for inviting me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Infrastructure Show. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to join us too. The Infrastructure Show is recorded at the Studio Media Recording Company in Evanston, Illinois, under the direction of Scott Steinman, recording engineer with a commitment to great sound. Our producer is Marion Sowers, a journalist with a passion for infrastructure. And I am Professor Joseph Schofer. Few people are more curious about infrastructure than I.